when we start to shift our language, everything starts to bend toward that. Our brains are incredible. They are pad, it is a pattern recognizing system. And so if if the pattern is always this kind of negative loop, your your brain knows that and is just walking toward that. It's like almost like an unseen memory that your brain's just like, oh yeah, that's what we do. That's what we do. So if we have an old story, it's not a good story. It's not a story that works for us creating a new story. But the caveat I always say is something that's still true. This is the Made for Living Well podcast, hosted by Alexa Sherm, the place to create a life well-lived. Welcome back to this podcast. As always, my name's Alexa, and this is the place where I believe you were made for living well. Now, I know you can hear that, and it can sound kind of cheesy, but the reality that we miss so often in health is that health is inside of you. You actually have everything you need. It's just learning how to live it out. I know that's twisted from the normal approach that tells you health is found outside of you, but inside this podcast, you're going to learn all the ways to live it out and to use what you have, making it practical and realistic for every single person. No excuse. Now, today in the podcast, we're going to dive more into this mind-body connection because the language of health that connects your mind to your body and your body to your soul is incredibly important and the outcome that you achieve. And I've invited guest expert on and co-founder of Total Potential, Cole Birschback, who is not only an unbelievable expert in the mind-body connection, but she's also a mind coach, registered dietitian, yoga instructor, mom to three, and again, co-founder of Total Potential. You can learn more about Cole at totalpotential.com or find her on Instagram and Facebook at The Total Potential. Now, as always, I have linked all of this, including all the resources we talk about in today's show, over in the show notes at thelivingwell.com. In fact, it's not just show notes, it's an entire blog post that dives more into the language of health, why this is important in shifting the story that you believe and the outcome that you live. Again, find all of that at thelivingwell.com. While you're there, sign up for the email list, The Weekly Fill. It got a brand new update And so many exciting things are going to be happening there this summer as we dive into the summer podcast series. We're going to get a lot of resources that are going to help you in in deepening this mind-body connection and really healing it. So head on over to thelivingwell.com. Don't forget to check out Cole at thetotalpotential.com. And also stay tuned for this amazing episode as we welcome Cole to the show. Welcome to the show, Cole. It's an honor to have you on. Thanks so much for having me, Alex. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Well, I have been scrolling through your social media and listening to your podcast, and we have a lot of the same beliefs about health. (laughs) Um, But there's a topic that I love to talk about, and I love to have experts on, and it's really just creating this body awareness, because I think we're so disassociated from ourselves that it's hard to understand what it is, because it feels like such a simplistic term. (laughs) Yeah. But yet... I don't know that we're, sometimes we like to complexify things because we think that that will make it seem like we're actually doing something. So you talk about this topic of body intelligence. How does it relate to body awareness? Like that whole picture of what that is. 
Yeah. Well, to your point, I think for a lot of us, we feel like a mind that sits on top of a body Mm -hmm. and we feel like we're supposed to know about our body because we live in it. But for a lot of us, we have almost like completely cut off connection from our brain recognizing anything that our body is experiencing or trying to communicate. And, you know, even like the vagus nerve, which is the biggest nerve in your whole body, it sends more information from your body to your brain than it does the other way. And so I think we have a huge opportunity to shift, like using the body as a source of quote unquote minds. Mm. not just the brain, but the body Mm. as the mind. And so body intelligence to me means a few things. Number one, starting to build more connectivity and awareness about what is happening in the body. What do I feel in the body? What is my body experiencing? What are the signals I'm receiving from my, from my body? Um, but then as you walk that path, what ends up becoming available is almost like a source of information that you know, this is really hard because our brain thinks of knowing something as language with which we can understand a concept. Mm. Yeah. But our body doesn't experience intelligence in that way. Our body experiences intelligence as a knowing or an understanding. And it's really unspoken. It's just like held. Mm. And I know that can feel like funny language, but it's, it's hard for our brain to wrap around that our, our system might know something that doesn't necessarily have language with it. Mm. So, so yeah, body intelligence is kind of that whole experience, experience of reconnecting to the body and then connecting at deeper and deeper levels until a whole other thing becomes available from the body to the rest of the system. Can you give us an example of what that would be like? Like when you say your body's like holding something that maybe doesn't have a language to it? Yeah. So I'm asking you to put language to something. You just told me there's not a language for no, it. No, it's, it's totally <laughs> fine. And, you know, because there's not a lot of language that can describe the sense of this, I, I, I'll just share like what my own okay, personal yeah, yeah, yeah. experience is because it's a little bit hard to describe what mm-hmm. somebody else might feel in this um, same way. So when I'm quiet and I... And in a space where my mind is resting and I can experience like what I would call space, um, to me, even silence can have some, you know, (laughs) flutterings in the back, but when there's space, what becomes available is information that arises like, um, from the whole of the body. And it's something that I just know to be true. And sometimes that can be something as simple as, okay, I've, I've had this issue. I've spent time reflecting on it. I've gotten quiet. I've let my mind relax around it. And then I, I experience that space or openness. I kind of ask my system, like, what am I missing? What might I do? What might be the right move? And then I get into that quiet space. And from there, all of a sudden I have this action that I know I'm going to just take. Mm Mm-hmm. That's the kind of intelligence that can just rise up from the whole of our system that the brain did not come up with, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? right? The body, the heart, the gut, that that's what provided the information. That could also be, you know, a step farther than that, like a spiritual insight, but it came through the body system, not through the brain. Right, right. So it's almost like, again, you said this, your body's communicating with your brain, but maybe explain the different parts, because we do have the gut and we do know that the gut produces tons of neurotransmitters. You know, some people call it the second brain. And then, like you said, the heart. And can you just maybe dive a little bit deeper into what each of these mean to you and how they're connected together? 
Because I think we do yeah. think about our life being run from our brain. Um, but our brain is more like a, I always think of it as like a bridge between your soul and your body or your heart and your body. Mm. It's like a, the TSA agent, maybe like filtering <laughs> what is going in and what's going out. I don't know, but I, I've always been fascinated by this subject. So explain it to me in your words, what this looks like. Yeah. So our brain is the meaning making machine, mm -hmm. right. Of our system. Awesome. And it is awesome at its job. Yeah. It's incredible. <laughs> Um, but when I say, and, and the cool part is that the vagus nerve connects the gut, the heart and mm -hmm. the brain. So these things are in communication. We often don't shut off the brain enough to let the heart and the gut send its signals in a way where we can recognize them. So it might be something like, um, I'll give you a couple different levels. Like I have had experiences where, um, laying quietly or even in like really gentle movements where it's like all of a sudden my belly is making noises and doing weird things. And it's not because I, you know, haven't eaten lunch yet, you know? And if I can sit with that and ref like feel into it, be quiet. Mm -hmm. Hmm. What's there? What does my body need to share with me? And we can use the mind to ask those questions because that's yeah. just a, a way we understand to do it. But if we can ask into it, the answer is probably not going to be, yeah. ah, it is that <laughs> I missed that phone call earlier uh -huh. and I got to go make it next. It's usually something more subtle mm -hmm. than that and quieter than that, but usually like way more meaningful yeah, yeah. <laughs> than the, the information our mm -hmm. brain wants to share. So it might be something like I'm quiet and that, you know, belly sense is happening and I feel into that. And then I realize, mm, I have, you know what, today I just have been missing a little bit of connection with my daughter. I'm going to go move toward mm -hmm. that thing. And that's not what my brain would have said, right? My brain would have been like, what's my next task? Wow, this exercise feels X, Y, or Z. It's the, the gut. It's the body that sent up a different signal than that. Even like our fascia now, you know, the lining of our muscles are, are, is being equated to another brain. And so we can think about how, how the body moves as a way of connecting to the intelligence of the body, which is so awesome, right? Because yeah. it's wild. It's wild. And it's, yeah. Like, how does that intersect at the joints? How does the body store things in the fat? Like that is another really yeah. Area to play play into when you think about the intelligence of the whole system and the body, especially. Does that answer uh -huh. your question? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, I was uh like going back to the fascia too. I think it's really hard sometimes to grasp because I feel like this mind-body connection, while we're talking about it, it still feels like the way the world is working is still this massive separation that you have a body and you have a brain. And but it's like the connectedness of it. And even talking about the emotional storage of like your body is holding on to things that you've been through, that you've experienced. And like they said, the fascia is holding on to things. It's just a wild, it's a wild thought process. And so as you've connected these, how do you feel like that has changed your view of emotions? Mm. If that makes sense. Um, like, do you feel like you've been able to do more healing what does that look like? Yeah. Well, a couple of things. Number one being that it um, it's really easy to link ourselves to emotions, to feel like in an emotion that I am having or my system is experiencing is me. Mm -hmm. And the, yeah. the more we 
move through that and feel the energetics of that, we realize that that's going to come and go. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Give yourself five minutes and a new emotion will be yeah. readily available. And so there's um, much less like holding on to that emotion and allowing them to just flow through, which is super helpful for our system because the more we're holding on to that, that's just getting tucked, tucked, like pulled in, pulled in, pulled in. And it's not, it, it was never meant to do that. It was always meant to just flow through the system. So that's one thing. The other thing is that a lot of times when we are experiencing emotion, it's just, like trying to shine light on something. And if we can actually feel into the emotion and experience it in the body, it can often often give us really important information. And to your point about, you know, healing, if you have an area in your life where you know, like I have some work to do here, one of the richest places to spend time is not from the mental, yeah, I'm going to fix this, mm-hmm. but from the emotional and being state of like, what am I experiencing in relation to that? And how can I let that move through me? How could I relate to that sense when it shows up? How could I relate to it differently? Mm-hmm. How might I move my body so that I can almost like take the shape of that emotional quality and move it through the system. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that the link becomes so much different when we realize that the the emotion is just an energy that's moving through right. the system mm-hmm. rather than something that I have to be or something that I have to hold on to. When you start to associate that with something that you be or hold on to, is that when we start to see it get stuck inside the system? Because we talk yeah. about like stuck emotions in the body. Is that what happens is when you attach that almost to your identity? Yeah. And, and then it can't move because, Mm -hmm. okay. So take, um, take a really traumatic or challenging experience that you've been through. And if you in your mind's eye can bring back a memory of that experience and almost instantaneously feel like you did when you were there, yeah, you know, for sure your body is holding that Mm -hmm. emotion. Mm -hmm. So it's not hard to identify especially in those bigger things that have happened over the course of our lives, it's, it's really easy to identify. Am I still holding that? And it like is in me, it's part of me. My language says things like my, um, I'll, I hear this a lot because I do a lot of, you know, yoga and Pilates and teaching breath and meditation. I hear a lot, like, um, something like that's my bad leg. Mm, yeah. Well, you are holding on really tight to that leg being bad. <laughs> Right. And so we do that physically. We do that with our emotions. We do that with traumatic experiences. That is my, and that is just like, oh gosh, we're just oh, holding on to it so tightly. And our system holds on to it. We, we kind of feel that loop in the mind, but our whole system is keeping that. Yeah. Yeah. I often tell people that, you know, we give body fat a reason to stay around because we constantly tell ourselves that we're fat. Um, but it, you know, like it, it does, it gives it a purpose. Like your body doesn't do anything without purpose. So I think everyone's asking, okay, like I probably do have stuck emotions. I do have this, like, what does the process look like for you to move those through your body? This is hard. It's hard work and you have to be willing to experience the emotion. Ah, yeah. Um, that's the thing shoot. that no one wants to hear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. The, um, it won't. Why do you think we're so scared of emotion? Oh, I think not we've to been cut told you off our, there. No, not at all. I think we've been told our whole lives that, um, 
there's a really small range of emotions that are acceptable. And that, that changes from culture to family unit to where you grew up. Like there's a lot that goes into that, but it's a pretty small range. A lot of the people I work with actually can't give um, the way they feel any name. We have almost mm-hmm. completely eliminated the language that we use to describe the sense that's arriving in the body. And so much of how we've become conditioned has become so mechanistic from the way we do our work, the, all the, the enormous list of things we are supposed to do as if we're like a machine that's just going to make them happen. And, and from my perspective, emotions have fallen into the category of like, let's make humans really, really efficient. And Uh, high producers (laughs) of a certain output that we're looking for. And this is just a way to kind of like bypass, you know, the actual humanness and get more to that like mechanistic output. So yeah, there's a lot of reasons for it, but we, we hardly even have any language for it, let alone a way to process Mm -hmm. through it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And isn't there like, um, over 500 different Oh my gosh, that's one of my favorite tools language. to give people is like an emotional wheel. <laughs> oh <laughs> With yeah, all a, the names. But again, <laughs> if you don't have, I have one like up yeah. on my wall. <laughs> you can't see here, but you know, like sometimes I'm like, oh yeah, that's that's the word because it's like in my in my brain, I can't often come up with the totally. right word. Like we have these normalized emotions, like you said, but there's so many so of many. them. Yes. Yeah. yeah so yeah. Okay, going back to yeah. releasing these. How do you create the flow? You have to you feel have to it. Feel it. Okay, so one of the hardest parts is that if if something that you're trying to heal and is painful, um, you're gonna have to feel the pain of that. Mm-hmm. And maybe pain isn't the right word to describe that specific sense, but you have to be willing to tap back into the feeling of it. Um, because that is the only way we can finally let it go and not hold it in our system. Now, somatic practices are one of my favorite ways to move this energy in the body because they're extremely effective. Number one, they're very readily accessible to anyone. I mean, you can YouTube yoga videos. Like there's, you don't have to be a, you know, monk sitting in a cave who does a specific yoga practice to be able to do these things. But I think, um, somatic practices like yoga, Tai Chi, Qigong, these types of things have sort of been put in a category of like woo woo stuff that you can do to access this type of work. But I would really argue against that. Like you can go to your CrossFit gym if that's what you're into and with intention, realize that I'm activating my body and I might move the exact energy I need to move doing a hard type of exercise too. So I think when I think of somatic, I think of any time I'm going to move my body, I have access to the nervous system. I have access to the heart because it's going to change the way it beats. I have access to my muscles and my fascia because they're going to be in motion. And I'm going to activate some things in my belly because that's part of motility and all those things. Um, So all of these things are going to become really readily available the second I start moving my body. And that's if you're willing to get into the dance of it, you know, movement's probably the quickest way to access the work of healing. And then maybe you do need a therapist to help you process, or you do need a coach to help you create some plans around what your next steps are. It's not always going to be just like, oh, I became a yogi and now I'm, I am healed. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Not always going to be like that, but certainly getting 
into the body in that way can access a lot of things that are otherwise hidden from our view. Uh huh. I like your view of movement on it. I do feel like culturally, like this is something people used to do all the time. Like, like indigenous tribes have their dances and like, there's so much healing that comes from the movement and specific movements. Okay. We haven't talked a lot about somatic healing though. Can you just explain a little bit? I know you just did, but explain a little bit more about what that is and like what those practices are. Like, how does that work? Yeah. When I think about somatic healing as like a definition, Mm -hmm. just using the body instead of like in therapy, what we're going to do healing work, we're going and we're using language and the mind. We maybe get into a little bit of the emotions when we're doing that from a somatic perspective, we're simply using the body to release emotions, to access emotions, to access where things are stored in the body. I mean, I have been in yoga class and had somebody in pigeon and sob Mm -hmm. because certain parts of the body will just store a lot of emotion. So things like, but there has to be an intentionality to that. They're wanting to release it. Some, or is it sporadic? I I would say I've seen it surprise people before that they weren't expecting it. So maybe there's an unconscious intention that gets to be expressed. I, that, that I'm not sure of, but certainly the intention, because the second we can put an awareness in a, where do I feel tension in my body? Okay. Could I go to that? Could I need it? Interesting. I can ask it. What is there? What do you need me to know? What do you need me to let go of? What, what am I ready to not have here anymore? So there's a lot like tension, um, lack of mobility, uh, over flexibility, uh, areas of strength. Like when we can kind of pinpoint these various senses in the body, often those are the places we can go first to start to activate. Like what is my body Mm -hmm. holding that I can start to shift my relationship with? Mm -hmm. So do you have to name it to get rid of it? I would not say you have to name it to get rid of it. So you just have to basically open up to the flow of that and be open to it and be curious and be willing to experience the awareness. I say those are like the two things I say are superpowers, awareness and curiosity. Because Mm. um, I think something that, because we're really good at using our brains, we're really good at looking into the body and then trying to make meaning of what I feel. Yeah. (laughs) We love meaning. We love it. It's so (laughs) fun. We can make meaning out of nothing. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) But if we can go in and just be curious mm-hmm. and I'm going to be open to, from like a witnessing highest self perspective, look in the body and experience the body and not have to make any meaning of it. That's where some really, that's where you can get into the work. That's even way beyond just, I have something that needs to heal or I have something that my body needs to get rid of. I mean, that can become a very like creative, open, expressive, expansive space when you can put yeah. that in the body. Yeah. I once heard that uncertainty is the most complex human emotion. Oh, I could see that. <laughs> yeah. Because our mind hates it, right? Hates it's it. like why we, we are made to finish loops inside of our brain. Yeah. Okay. I have been doing a lot of work on my posture because mm-hmm. I've learned more about this of how you show up in life is really an indicator of really your biology and your mind and, you know, kind of what your body's holding on to. Yeah. Have you done any work in this area of posture and like what that's speaking about what your body's holding on to? Yeah. I'm going to forget the woman's name, but there's a really cool Ted talk on posture that, um, uh, if you just stand shoulders back 
two minutes, Mm -hmm. your level of testosterone increases and like your whole sense of confidence would shift just by standing upright shoulders back for two minutes. Like that's pretty cool. (laughs) So obviously our posture has a huge impact. There's a couple of things I see really commonly. Number one is like really hunched forward, Mm -hmm. um, shoulders sitting on this (laughs) bike, but that's a really protective posture. That is like a, I'm going to, let my heart sit in here and I'm going to just make sure it's okay. And so there's no judgment about it. It's just, okay. Is that true for me? Is there something about the way that I hold my body that is protective or I do kind of close in on myself a little bit? Um, but I mean, for better or worse, like posture now is becoming so deeply impacted by technology, uh, sedentary work life, uh, being on devices. I mean, the amount of people I see who have like forward neck and then, I mean, I can't even like make my head do that, but forward head position and then chin lifted, but like the curve that comes in the back of people's neck, like that's, that's some serious stuff because that will impact your posture and your ability to be upright and in your spine and let energy flow through the columns it's designed to flow through for your nervous system. Um, it has a massive impact. Right. Because posture is changing your vagus nerve. Correct. Which is going to change every system of your, your biology. Yes. Yeah. So when we look at posture and the somatic healing, and obviously you're doing Pilates and yoga work, how does someone start to heal this process? Because it's such an ingrained, like I know for me, it's like, I don't intend to have that, that, um, safety posture of like, kind of like the like protective mode, but it's so natural for me to go there. Mm -hmm. Is it just conscious awareness of just like recorrecting, recorrecting, recorrecting? I think there's a certain level of that for sure. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, do you need an alarm on your phone that tells you to like stand up for a little while or to sit up for, you know, a a Mm -hmm. time, that's cool. Um, but <laughs> at the studio where I teach, we, we have a saying that like, uh, strong abs cannot compensate for a weak spine mm. and our spine huh, is so important. And if we want to move energy and if we want to get into the body and we want our brain to be able to recognize what our system is telling us, we need our spinal column to be strong and sturdy because otherwise those signals, you know, back and forth are always going to be impacted. So yeah, there's a, you know, when I think about what's the most important thing to train in my body, I always think about that all of strength is going to build from core to extremity. So I don't care if I have big biceps, I care a lot more, like, do I have a deep, strong core, (laughs) right? The rest of it can just, it'll come along for the ride. If I'm strong and integrated in my center, everything else will flow from there. So for anyone, you know, that's listening is like, I don't know, how would I even start this? Well, I don't know. Do you need to do some pelvic floor exercises? Do you need to spend time on the deep core so that you can sit upright and not, right? A lot of this is, a lot of the forward posture is simply just abdominal weakness too. It might not always be protective posture, but yeah, there's a lot of work for all of us to do through that core area. Yeah. Yeah. Because we're so ingrained with patterns, right? Like we get so fixated on these patterns because patterns are safe. How do, how do we identify some of these patterns in our life? You know, like when you work with people and, you know, like they said, like, it's just my bad leg or, you know, like obviously these are ingrained patterns. How do someone help? Like, how do you help someone identify these patterns, these stuck patterns that they're living in? One of the first things is to uh, ha- 
just ask them, what are the most common things you tell yourself about yourself? Mm. So I have a bad Again, just leg. Again, awareness. Yes. Yeah. I have mm-hmm. a bad leg. Um, my back always hurts. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever the language is of the things that you tell yourself, you just kind of have to build an awareness around them. Whether you, a, a very quick place to build that awareness is in movement. Because why do you tell yourself you can't do something? Oftentimes that's going to be one of the things you've held on to. The system is keeping and it becomes your resistance point, your threshold to doing something different. Um, so yeah, so being able to then build awareness around that language is a huge part of, oh, that probably doesn't yeah. Mean, how does how does telling myself I have a bad leg, how does that help me yeah, not right. have a bad <laughs> leg? <laughs> right. Like it doesn't. <laughs> so getting clear on that is because we're so in our heads using those first parts of movement and what we don't want to do to understand what we tell ourselves is a, a huge power move to start to shift that experience. And no one's going to want to, well, not maybe no one, but a lot of people don't want to hear it. But if you can start to move your body in more subtle ways and still feel your body, you're getting to a place where you are having a lot more um, creative, intuitive, understanding of your system because moving in big and powerful ways is actually like pretty easy. Like we're, we're designed, right? right? We have big muscles and they, they're designed to do heavy lifting, big movements, quick and fast. And if we can get into a place where we start to either have more flow from muscle to muscle or have smaller muscles, giving our system feedback, there's a lot of nuance that can arise when we get into smaller areas. Mm-hmm. How do you work up those muscles? Like, is this like a, a program or a plan that you can do, or is it just like literally being intentional about moving throughout the day? Yeah, it depends. I mean, if you're the kind of person who already has a movement mm-hmm. practice, perhaps it is something like you are willing to stretch or do some yoga before bed because that would be a different type of practice than your body right. is used to. Than just focusing on the big muscles yeah. that we think are going to change how we look. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I understand that we have a lot of drive to look a certain way and I'm certainly not immune to that, but it's just so boring. Yeah. It's, there's there's few people in my life I come across and I'm like, ooh, that person. Like most people, I'm like, look yeah. at how beautiful she looks. Look at how handsome. Like, I know, right. Why yeah. we have this conditioned belief that we have to look a certain way. It's just not that interesting. So, but these, so some of those softer movements, if you have a movement practice and can move in a different way, great place to start. A lot of people need support. They need somebody who knows the body to help them start to move the body in a functional way. If you if you do have an injury you need to work through, or you do um, recognize like an overarching posture issue, like I would find a really good Pilates person by you if 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 you know you have a certain issue that if you started to correct would change the way that you could access your body. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think when we get into fa- fascia work, it's so interesting because that's really creating the shape of yeah. our body. And so if we get this stuck, dense, thick fascia, like we're going to be more dense and thick and, you know, uh, shorter where if we start to learn how to elongate that, like you said, like the movement of it, that's, what's going to change our shape. Not so much worrying about the body fat. 
you know, condition of our, our body, but, and the way it fills water once it's moving. And there's like so many cool things that yeah. end up happening. It's really cool. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's not, yeah. it's, it's not something to overlook. Like even if, and that's why I say like, if you don't have a movement practice, but you could do something as simple as stretching, like that is a step in the right direction because you get to then pull into the muscles, pull into the joints, pull into the fascia, get some signaling from your muscles to your nervous system, like get these systems talking and it doesn't have to be because you started running marathons. It can be something as simple as I stretch, you know, after work, when I come home, just to start to cultivate some communication from the body to the mind. Yeah. Yeah. And I love going back a little bit to what you said about, you know, what we tell ourselves. And I remember on my own healing journey, I just kept coming up of like, I'm never going to be healthy. Like, this is just my story. I'm such Mm -hmm. a hypocrite. And then finally, one day I was like, do you even want to be well? You know, like, I think at some point we have to choose if we want it, because what we're saying is like you said, like that, that was getting me literally nowhere. Uh, But when I decided, like, ask myself just the question, like, do you even want to be well? And then I decided like, I do, like, it was kind of that, that telling myself over and over of like, I am well, like I'm Mm -hmm. going to get well, I'm getting well, like just that repetitive pattern. And you wrote a book on this connection of mind, body, kind of soul work, spirit work. And I love that so much because when we start to talk about believing or being careful what you say, it's really changing what your body does. Can you dig into that a little bit more um, of that, that connection again, of that mind body and even adding in that spiritual aspect of it. Well, one thing that's unique about our book is we talk about doing these things in the context of the family unit. And I cannot Mm. overstate the power of language in the family dynamic, right? Because if, if you, if your children come into the kitchen and every time dinner's a war zone or there's lots of bickering or, Ooh, that's not healthy. I don't want that. Like Mm -hmm. there's so much language that we put around that your kids are just Fucking that up. Yeah. <laughs> right. So it's, you know, when I think about the language I'm feeding myself, the very next step for me is like, oh my gosh, what are the things that I'm willing, wanting, intentionally feeding the people around me? Because the second they come out of my mouth, it's pulled up by them too. Um, but, you know, when we think about sh- making any shift, we have to start to tell ourselves a better story. If the old story doesn't work, we have to know what the old story is and we have to be willing to rewrite aspects of the story. Now, I think, and we can do this with language and we can also start to activate that with uh, visualization practices, which is really fun and cool. When we start to shift our language, everything starts to bend toward that. Our brain are incredible. They are pad. It is a pattern recognizing system. And so if, if the pattern is always this kind of negative loop, your, your brain knows that and is just walking toward that. It's like almost like an unseen memory that your brain's just like, oh yeah, that's what we do. That's what we do. So if we have an old story, it's not a good story. It's not a story that works for us creating a new story. But the caveat I always say is something that's still true. I think an error that a lot of us make when we say, okay, I'm going to shift into something more powerful, more positive, more energizing. We kind of like shoot for the moon on that and, you know, tell ourselves this big grandiose story, but that story is really far away from what our system knows to be true. 
And so shifting the story often might be like a word or two at a time. Maybe if the story, to use the leg example, just because that's came up, if if it's, I have a bad leg, maybe the, sh- the shift in the story is, I have a leg. Mm, yeah. Right? Not yeah. that I have a leg that runs marathons yeah. and does these <laughs> amazing things. Like, it still needs to be true enough that our our brain recognizes it as, oh, yeah, that is, that's correct. I do have yeah. a leg. That's mm-hmm. cool. <laughs> yeah. So you're just, like, making small shifts in that story, but it is really Very critical small. in what you're acting out for sure Uh and how you relate to it and how you relate to the actions that my bad leg versus just my regular leg would take. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It would do two totally different things. Right. Right. Yeah. I love that you said that because I think sometimes we try to like, you know, in the, the mindset space, it's like, just think yourself positive and just, you know, tell yourself all these other things, but if you don't believe it, It's not going to work long term. (laughs) No, but it's it's also getting to the place where we have to be willing to change our beliefs and kind of open up to that, which again is just opening up everything, creating more of a flow. Otherwise, we will stay stuck in that smallness. Now, you did write about families, and I think a lot of people struggle to balance life in general and to understand what does it take to really raise healthy, uh, raise healthy kids, and to live as a connected family unit. You have a lot of great tips for that. So can you share any tips with us on what that looks like? So one of my most closely held beliefs is that we have to start with the body, which is, Mm -hmm. of course, the topic Mm -hmm. we've been talking about today. And I think that's true in the family unit too. Things like how important are physical touches with one another. And I don't care if your kid is two or 20, like they get a hug, they get a high five, they get a pat on the back. Like these interactions that link us physically are so, so important. And, you know, past the toddler age where there's so much physicality Mm -hmm. often past that age, a lot of us almost like slowly um, eliminate the physical yeah. uh, connection in family. So that I think cannot be understated and um, is so simple, right? Like I can yeah. give my kid a high five, like that does not take that yeah. much energy. Um, so that body first is huge. Um, I, for better or worse, or just the way life happened, I ended up uh, spending a lot of time working as a dietitian in a pediatric clinic and saw the way that family dynamics impacted um, in the clinic I was working with. It was super important that the kids eat enough, the uh, kids with cystic fibrosis. And the dynamic of the family was so impactful on whether or not a child could meet their nutrition goals. And that, you know, I was so glad to have that insight all those years ago, because how do we, and you know, this is something you're so good at. How do we create a space where our family meal times, the time in the kitchen, the time going to the grocery store, putting groceries away or growing food in the garden is something that nourishes us. And we do it together, not just mom in the kitchen or dad in the kitchen alone, but like the whole family, even if it, even if one person's preparing the food, having the conversations there, having music on where we dance and we connect and we still, Hey, how was your day? You know, have those interactions. So I, for me, everything is body first, and then we can start to address the rest when the body is integrated and feeling well. Um, so yeah, in the family space, that also, that's true there as well. And then when we get into kind of more of like that language piece, like we were just talking about, Oh my God, like, I think we have 
completely underestimated our children as actually the people who are teaching us. Oh yeah. Yeah. And so this is where that curiosity superpower comes back in. How many questions can I ask my kid? How many things can I get really interested or curious about that they're into or that they feel like is true to who they are? And letting our language be a space that says, I see you, I love you exactly as you are, and I want to know more about you. Rather than, guess what? I know everything. I'm the parent. This is what you should do. By the way, make sure you get this grade on that homework. And if you don't, what did you do wrong? Like, and it's okay. Like, we're all just trying the best with, you know, the system that we're used to and grew up with. But if we can shift the language of how we communicate in the family and and use way more questions than statements, we're, we're pointing ourselves in a positive direction for sure. Yeah. I love that because I feel like it makes the kids feel like they're a part of the family, not just kind of a pawn in the yeah. the whole scheme of life, right? Like opening up. But again, like when we look at this, the curiosity and the creativity, those are things that a lot of adults are missing. Like we've suppressed, we've had issues like traumas, and now we're just so protected that we can't open up to that creativity and the curiosity. How do you help someone start the process of like, regaining that. Yeah. I mean, one of the things I would say right out of the gate is what's one new question you might ask your husband, wife, or child? Mm. Just yeah. one new question. Yeah. We don't have to, you know, break the mold. Mm-hmm. We don't have to, this isn't rocket science, but just one new way of communicating. And the thing is, is, you know, it's just the nature of our systems. But when we tell ourselves something about someone else, <laughs> might as well just tell ourselves that about ourselves, right? We're just not always. And I don't love that. Like all of the world is projecting what's inside. And I, I don't believe that. But if we, for instance, look outside of ourselves and every time our kiddo comes into the kitchen, the first thing we say is like, Ooh, is that what you want to wear? Or, oh, fix your hair or something about their appearance. That's really interesting. Maybe we have a pattern around what we feel about that and how we judge ourselves and how we are experiencing whether or not we are good enough when we walk out of the house in the morning, that if we could just recognize, you know, some of those patterns of communication, we can turn it on ourselves and start to experience something different and start to train our system to have a different way of being. Yeah. Yeah. I love that so much because curiosity I think opens the door for us to experience the world in a different way or like we're get so set in our perspective that sometimes it takes like a shift in that. And I think kids are great at shifting our perspective because they see the world in such a different way than we do. Can you give us some like prompts of maybe like, okay, this would be a great question to ask because I think sometimes it's like, okay, we're just going to ask a question and our kids are going to be like, yeah, it was fine. Like how was school today? It was fine. You know, like how do we get in? And I think when we get in, it's so rewarding to learn about someone else that you want to go back for more, right? Like yeah. once you taste it, you're like, I want more of it. But yeah. like, can you, what are some prompts that someone could start with today? Like when their kids get home from school, that just maybe changes the narrative just slightly. Yeah. I mean, let's say that, you know, the average get home from school question is how was your day, right? Even if it's something like, hey, what were you grateful for today? What was the funniest thing that happened at school today? <clears throat> what who was the person you sat next to at lunch? And what did they, was there anything that you guys talked about? Like just 
And, you know, it's one thing to ask new questions. It is another thing to actually listen. And I think our kids are really receptive. They are paying attention. If you ask a question and they give you information, but you're scrolling on your phone or talking to somebody else at the same time, you think like they're not going to want to answer that question the next time because you didn't listen the first time. So I think putting ourselves first in a place where we actually want to know the answer is a more important place to start than what am I going to ask? And then when, and, and maybe the response is something like I sat next to Joey. Why do you care? Okay. That's like every, they get to be exactly where they are. It's not that we're trying to mold the response. It's that we're trying to create this connection and this um, kind of ritual of communication where they know we're listening and that when there does come a time that they have something important to share with you, they know you're going to be there and you're going to be the one listening to it. We don't, right? I There are days when I come into communication with other people and they ask me a question and I'm like, oh, I don't want to talk about that right now, right? Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't mean I don't love and care and respect and all those things that person. It just mm-hmm. means like, not right now. And so when our kids have that response, mm-hmm. that's okay. Not right now. No problem. Yeah. But having that ritual mm-hmm. of like, I'm in the space where I'm curious about you and actually want to know about what's happening for you. And just starting with myself being in that place, mm-hmm. that's when new doors open. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I love how you related that back to being curious with yourself too. Because I think sometimes we're like, we just go about our life. Like you said, it's almost like this robotic nature to us yeah. that we don't even know what we like or what we're feeling or all of those things. This has been a wealth of knowledge. <laughs> I could ask you a million more yeah. questions, but I just have one more before we tell it, or we would learn more about you and what you do. But um, what are like a few things that you're like, okay, if you wanted to make a change or you wanted to do something different, like these are the few things that I would start with. I would start with breathing. Mm. learning yeah. to take really deep so simple and free it's and, free yeah. it's right now you could do it while you <laughs> listen to the end part of this podcast um that would be the very first thing i would do because it's so accessible and it changes our state almost instantaneously so that would be number one number two would be to get serious about how do you like to move your body how does it feel good what feels playful what helps you feel open or accessible and just practice it doesn't have to for me everything is an experiment when i set a goal and it has to be this specific thing i've already limited myself to finding joy in it i've limited myself to experiencing something more than that but when when I know that I just have this interest and I want to explore it, then a whole bunch of really cool things become available. So if you're going to move your body, awesome, do that. And how might you treat it like an experiment where you're just looking for where do you find a feeling of energy? Where do you find a feeling of strength? Where do you find a feeling of openness? If you're in an inflexible body, what makes you feel like you have more access to get into the joints, like just, you know, kind of back to that curiosity again, Yeah, but yeah, yeah, just yeah. treating it like an experiment. How can I find what my body is asking me to look for through movement? So yeah, those would be my first two things. And then the next thing would just be 
how can I be more open, more curious, more um, communicative with the people I care about most in a way that allows them to know I'm right here, I am present, and I see them exactly as they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. I especially love the word play yeah. um, because I think that we've missed that as adults. And it's, again, like that's the enjoyment of life. Yeah, That is the purpose of life. And I'm so grateful that you mentioned that. Okay. We have to wrap this up, but can you tell us where we can learn more about you, your book, the work that you do? You have a podcast. So yes. tell us everything. Yeah. So we have a podcast, uh, Total Potential. You can find it in you know, all the places where podcasts are. Um, our book is available on Amazon and all the other places that books are online. Yeah. <laughs> it's called, also called Total Potential, How to Create a Culture of Growth and Mastery so your whole family can thrive. Um, and then... Our, on our site, I mean, I'm super clear that I am not like a child development expert. There are gaps in what I can support people on. And so we have a lot of resources from educators, psychologists, uh, occupational therapists, like a whole bunch of different people to help support people navigating the family dynamics so that it can be a really nourishing, loving, thriving, integrating kind of a place. Um, so that's all on our site, which is uh, the totalpotential.com and all of our social handles are at the total potential and yeah. Perfect. Reach out. I love yeah. being in communication with people on how to, you know, do this work in their family. So yeah, we're there. Yeah. And I'll make sure and link all of that up in the show notes, but thank you so much for being here, Cole. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. It's really fun getting to chat with you. I'm so honored that Cole could come on the show. I hope you loved it as much as I did. So we really talk about this mind body connection. Now, as always, you can learn more about Cole and get all of the resources for today's show at thelivingwell.com, where I share in a blog post more details about the language of health and why that's so important. Or you can just find Cole at her website at thetotalpotential.com or on Instagram and Facebook at The Total Potential. Okay, that is it for today's show. Don't forget, in the next episode, my husband's coming back on as we share our results from doing 30 days of continuous blood sugar monitoring. It really is mind-blowing. And don't forget, we have a brand new series coming out this summer on the Mind-Body Connection. This is just a small preview at what's to come later on this summer. So I'll see you back here next week. In the meantime, here's to having the best week.